way, but I know it's going to be good. And you can do it in any way you like. All right. Go, who's going first? Well, firstly, thank you so much for coming, guys. Thank you. So we are going to talk about relationships, but we're going to talk about compassion. So compassion is a, is a very, very long and large topic. We're not going to speak for too long, I promise. But So we're going to try and make it specific to relationships. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll aim to discuss what the Bible says about compassion. We'll discuss its importance for all of us and perhaps some of the challenges that come with it. So we've got a verse to kick it off. I think it's the verse that we were suggested. Um, it's in Colossians. It's Colossians 3, I believe. Lauren's going to read it. It's quite long. We should have had it up there, really. Um, but yeah, we're going to start with that. It's quite long, but we're going to come and try and dip in and out of it as we go. So Lauren's got it. Um, so again, it's Colossians 3, and I'm going to start from verse 12. And preceding it is... Um, Verses about um, our new life in God and and getting rid of the old life, which is, you know, getting rid of death and then coming into new life with God. And so it starts on verse 12, and I'm reading from the voice. So if it sounds like a really, really different, it's a completely different version. Um, So verse 12, since you are all set apart by God, made holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a holy way of life, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience put up with one another forgive pardon any offenses against one another as the lord has pardoned you because you should act in kind but above all put but above all these put on love love is the perfect tie to bind these together let your hearts fall under the rule of the anointed's peace the peace that you were called to as one body and be thankful and i'm going to skip down to because um, after all this of being being clothed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, um, there's like a bit of like relational instructions. So it goes to wives, be submitted to your husbands as it, as it is appropriate in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't treat them harshly or respond with bitterness towards them. Children, o- sorry, obey your parents in every way. The Lord is well pleased by it. Fathers, don't infuriate your children so their hearts won't harbor resentment and become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in all things. Don't just act in earnest in your service only when they are watching. Serve with a sincere heart, even when others aren't watching. Fearing the Lord, who is always watching, so no matter what your task is, work hard. Always do your best as the Lord's servant, not as man's, because you know your reward is the Lord's inheritance. You serve the Lord, the anointed one, and anyone who does wrong will be paid his due because he doesn't play favorites. So um, what struck me really was in the new creation, we are given clothes to put on. And, you know, one of them is, you know, some of them are compassion and kindness. And so to put on clothes, that, that implies a choice. And so in the new creation, the old sins are no longer, they don't have to be a part of you, but leave those old things. And, and I believe that. And so what does being a new creation have to do with, with compassion? And, but I believe that we are saved by grace through faith. That's what the Bible says. And God has called, as God has called us to be. And so there's grace for this. It's not about what we're lacking, but now the gifts and the clothing that we now have and the responsibility to, to clothe ourselves with kindness. And I believe that um, 
yeah, again, it's not about like we're lacking compassion. We now have it. We now have the responsibility and authority to carry these things. And we've been anointed to carry compassion. And then Rainer will explain um, what compassion means. Okay, so what does compassion mean? Well, if we look at the dictionary, it defines compassion as the sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Can you hold that six, sorry? So upon reading that definition, discussing it with Lauren today, we both got a sense of an implied passivity, perhaps, that prevents that definition from really hitting home in our hearts. So we decided to look up the antonym. So the opposite of compassion is described as indifference. So to, to model this, say if Manchester United <laughs> were to win the league this year, they're looking good for it, Okay. So if they were to win the league this year, I would represent the epitome of indifference. (laughs) So, uh, I wouldn't care really. Um, So, because I support Southampton, you know, a local team, local team. Um, Strange that. Uh, However, the Thomases here, as you as you can imagine, uh, they would be celebrating wildly passionately, wildly, perhaps even they might even consider going to watch their team play. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? That would be crazy. But because they don't share my indifference, the situation, Manchester United winning the league, would compel them to act upon this. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is compassion must overflow into action. To think of compassion truly, you can't think of it as the, as the noun that it's described in the dictionary. It is really a verb. It's not passive. It requires our action to be true. So in Proverbs, you know, the Bible does, just, does discuss compassion. Um, in Proverbs 31, 8 to 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I mean, if we were to take that English dictionary definition we would consider that as pity those who are destitute, perhaps, or consider those who cannot speak up for themselves. But in the Bible, it says to speak up and defend these people. Clearly, action is key here. So Lauren's got a story about compassion and its effects. Get some water. <laughs> so my story, like, they're just really, really simple, like the ones that I'm going to share, because I think most of the thing that we want to focus in on is compassion in our everyday lives and our relationships and people that we come across. And so I remember um, somebody in my high school and my brother would come home and he would just share a bunch of stories about just how absolutely rude this person was who was trying to kind of be involved in his friendship group and he was just like almost targeting him to like bully him and put him down. And just so happens this guy was in my class and so I could have quite easily chosen to be indifferent and say, well, this guy's kind of rude, so not necessarily be mean to him, but just kind of keep my distance. He doesn't seem like a really nice guy. You know, I kind of have every right to take up my brother's offense and just keep my distance. But I did see something and a pattern in his behavior. And I think this is like what compassion is like, is that you really understand someone on a deeper level and you you're get into their world. And I saw those behaviors as he's crying out for some relationships and going about it completely the wrong way and not knowing how to function correctly in relationships. So instead of responding, I know it sounds like I'm painting it really bad, but I mean just the absolute like rudeness and the acting out, 
just to me spoke all those things. So I actually like oddly just really made the decision to um, just be compassionate and speak positively in his life and like befriend him. And at the end of the year, he had like signed my yearbook, you know, just generic things. Oh, I'll miss you. Keep in touch. But right at the end, he said, but your faith has really inspired me. But I'd never spoken to him about my Christianity. He just kind of knew my background. You know, he knew my parents were pastors and things like that. And I'd never spoken to him about Christianity. Well, you know, he was like, I don't know if it sounds bad to say, but he was like homosexual. And a lot of times when somebody's, you know, gay or whatever, they they see church as a symbol of rejection sometimes. So I didn't want to, you know, try to preach about God to him or anything like that. But to him, my faith was, and my sign of faith was my behavior towards him. And that I didn't take up my brother's offense when I could have quite easily done so. So compassion means selflessness. And when we look at Jesus and the way he modeled compassion so perfectly, we can see that quite often he had a choice to make when it came to his reputation. So if we look at Matthew 9, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we're speaking about this today in Jesus' actions here. And we discussed how much of an easy ride Jesus would have had if he had tried to maintain his reputation with the influences of the day, the Pharisees. But Jesus wasn't concerned with this. He realized that he couldn't allow his public image and his popularity to get in the way of his of his ability and his need to demonstrate compassion. So we've also got another story from Lauren um, that we'll model this too. So this is actually about the Kingdom Life School thing about like the free hugs. And so basically, you know, Heather was explaining like each team and my team was going to, we're all doing different things and my team was going to do the gazebo bit. And I was thinking, you know, I've done like sort of prophetic words and words of encouragement. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's me. But the free hugs thing, that's not me. I'm not the kind of person that does that. But I was first supposed to do like balloons and stuff like that. And I was handing it out. And then Nathan, I think he had to move on and do something else. So he takes off the free hugs high-vis um, vest or whatever. You, you guys don't say vest, call something else. But <laughs> yeah, tabard. Um <laughs> And he hands it to me, and he was like, surprisingly, that was really fun. And it looked really fun, and I actually found myself thinking, actually, I really want to do that. And so, you know, giving free hugs, and it was like everybody was smiling. It was even fun to see people, like, like smile at you, like, awkwardly. And just to make anybody laugh for any reason was completely worth it. Yeah. And so I came away thinking. I was, like, sitting in the car kind of, like, processing, and I was like, actually, you know, I was saying that it wasn't me, but that was me. I didn't feel outside of myself. And I think that's true for compassion is that it is you. It's inside every person to kind of shed their self-image, like what they think that they're the kind of person that does certain things, and, and to go out and see joy happen in everyday lives. Absolutely. Yeah, to reiterate that, I mean, what we're trying to say is compassion, although it may feel foreign at first in this instance, 
begins to not feel foreign because essentially it's the fulfillment of who we really are in God and it's the fulfillment of the gifts that we've all been given. So, but compassion, as we all know, isn't just a case of sacrificing our self-image. Often it will ask a hell of a lot more than, than just that. So more often than not, our resources will be affected. Our time, our finances, our effort, the security of our plans. You know, sometimes when we, when we consider a compassionate act, we might think, my gosh, if this happens, how, how long is this going to continue? How, how long is this rabbit hole going to be? Um, so in preparation of this talk, um, we, we've got a, a verse, a Bible verse, that will explain just that. Um, it's probably the most universally accepted parable of compassion. And I hadn't read it in a long time. Um, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I was excited to read it in preparation, so I'm going to read it in its entirety now. Um, it's in Luke 10. Is it? I'm not writing this down. So I'll read it. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So what I noticed was um, in that story, there was a point of integrity. And two things manifested. One was a fear of God, and then another was a fear of man. And they say that integrity is what you do when no one watches. And when the priest and the Levite passed by, um, they did not manifest a fear of the Lord. And the Samaritan, you know, they nobody was around. You know, if a priest walked by, there was nobody on, like to keep him accountable. And then, like... In the story, he said it, the situation sounds very severe. In my translation, like the Samaritan had like stopped the bleeding, so he must have been bleeding. He must have been in a really um, extreme state, and nobody did anything um, to stop. And so, and actually, in Colossians three, it talks about the role of the servant, and do don't just act in earnest in your service only when they are watching. Serve with a sincere heart, even when others aren't watching, fearing the Lord who is always watching. So, no matter what your task is work hard, always do your best as the Lord's servant and not as man's. 
And so, you know, when I was doing, like, the free hugs thing, there was, like, an internal struggle where it's, like, what am I going to look like? What do people think of me if I'm doing this and, like, shouting this in the street, wearing a high-vis jacket? Or what does the Lord think that I'm doing? And Because and, this, this is what in front of me at the time. This was, this was the stranger that I saw, the strangers that I saw. This is what was set in front of me that I was supposed to do and throw myself into. And so in that instance, you know, you know, I, w- I feared the Lord that more than I feared man. But sometimes, you know, there are opportunities I have where I, I remember, like, riding in the bus. And almost all the time I, I see someone that I'm like, gosh, I wish I had the guts to go and pray for someone. And those moments I conceded to the fear of man because I was afraid, oh, I'm just going to look weird. They probably don't want to sit in this whole bus ride next to the person who tried to pray for them. And they said no. And um, so the takeaway from this story really is that, there are people that we encounter in our daily lives. And this is a story where these people, they were on their way to work or church or going home, and they saw someone there. And it talks about, um, yeah, there was someone right in front of us of whom we were required to exercise compassion. In our daily lives, who is our neighbor? Who is next to us? Um, our spouse, our family, our friends, or coworkers. There are opportunities for compassion in our daily lives and not just mission trips, which I love. But uh, this is about, you know, practically in relationships, there's opportunities that come. And actually, Rainer, at work, um, he, there's every week an opportunity to exercise compassion as a recruiter. And people come to him who are jobless and they have a mortgage and all these responsibilities and families. And... Um, Quite often, you know, if he doesn't have a role that he knows that he can fit, he will go and speak to another recruiter who will then get the commission from that person. So he would sacrifice his own commission, give it to someone else so that they can actually have a job. And that's not, like, encouraged, obviously, because he has to hit certain targets. You know, he has a requirement that he needs to fill. And there's almost always a reason why you don't exercise compassion. And, you know, there was the priest and the Levite, and they were on their way to church. They're like, oh, they probably thought, you know, I'm doing the Lord's work. I got to be somewhere. Nobody's watching. I can just, you know, I got I to do what I have to do. And Jesus said that to inherit eternal life was to love God and your neighbor. And my translation says to experience eternal life was to stop and have compassion for that person that you walked by. And... Um, I think even here it says, um, from, from verse 23, I just noticed it, Colossians 3, verse 23. So no matter what your task is, work hard, always do your best as the Lord's servant, not as man's, because you know your reward is the Lord's inheritance. And then, so I'll just move on. There's sometimes that God gives us opportunities to love people who even offend you. And... Um, that requires, I think, for me in that moment where I, you really have to, like, slow and really understand the person and get into their world. Like, what is their world like? Because oftentimes when someone appears offensive to you, there's a whole host of things that might be going on. And so in the culture of honor, one of the points that has been really resonating with me lately was um, what somebody else does doesn't determine the standard of behavior that you have. So it doesn't dictate what you do. And so this person was from my old church, like back in Miami. And he he was like serving and also working. And 
um, I remember putting this fundraiser together and I was kind of like directing people to do stuff and he would just openly just be really rude and try to like put me down in front of other people. And compassion doesn't mean like you're a pushover, you don't confront or thing, do anything like that. But I knew what his struggle was. I knew this was a kid who was like 16 years old. You know, his parents raised him like, oh, I raised myself, so you're going to raise yourself. So he had to pay his own rent, pay for all his own bills, his own food. He had to work full time, crazy shifts at a job. He had to drive an hour to go to because it was the only one he could get. So he comes to this week completely stressed out. And so I become the target of a lot of his sort of anger maybe about life. And but so what I had to do, what what compassion looked like for me in that moment was um, to slow down. And even if he spoke to me that way, to come every Sunday as if nothing had ever happened and speak to him differently and not avoid and not treat him as if he had done anything. And um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it didn't mean like, you know, being a pusher. There was times of healthy confrontation. And I did that with accountability, with leadership and stuff like that. But I think compassion in its essence requires being able to understand somebody's world and not responding to them based on their actions. So I just want to re- reiterate one of the points we mentioned at the beginning of this discussion. Sorry. So... We are all anointed to be compassionate, although we have to choose to clothe ourselves in compassion. I believe it's something that we must spend time as Christians working on. So Sam used a great gym analogy last week, so I'll try again tonight. If we, if we were to sign up for the gym, and I think some places by law actually have, they have to give you a bit of a tutorial from one of the personal trainers who, if he's any good, he'll, he'll show you around. Um, and sometimes he'll offer you a kind of a sample exercise plan. Um, but that sample plan, if he's any good, will allow us to target all of our muscle groups equally so we become healthier and stronger in a, in a balanced way. So he's not, he's not going to, if he's any good, obviously, he's, he's not going to show us around the gym. And as we get to the squat rack, he's not going to go, oh, don't worry about squats, they're for those who are anointed in legs. He's not going to do that. <laughs> We're... We're always Christians. You know, if Jesus is the guy who gives us our exercise plan, he's, he models compassion all the time. He's given us an exercise plan that, that includes you know, all the upward, outward, inward elements, um, but he's mixed a healthy level of compassion in it. But in addition, I feel that like, like squatting, you know, we have to be exercising compassion every day because we can get better at it. We need to exercise it and develop it. So... In order to do that, we need to craft for ourselves an environment that will expose us for, to the need to be compassionate. And that's much easier to say than to act upon completely. However, I mean, we do need to be aware if we are subconsciously or consciously organizing our lives or our groups in a way that doesn't require our compassion or doesn't threaten our identity as compassionate Christians. So we need to get good at recognizing where we're slacking off. So I started boxing again. For the first time in three years, three weeks ago, I, I boxed competitively for nine or ten years at pool. And I've been back three weeks. It's fantastic. But I've not done any sparring yet because I just know I'll, I'll be 
destroyed, embarrassed. My fitness isn't there yet, but the thing is, I, I, I know that I will not, if I'm in the ring, I, I know I will not be able to see my openings. My, I will not recognise when I need to punch to land, uh, to land shots. But I know that the more I train there and watch people in the gym, the more I will start to recognise my opportunities to land these punches again. In a safe way, of course. Um, but, and I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, so I think compassion works in the same way. <laughs> of course. Of course. I think compassion works in the same way, though. I think the more we work at it consciously, the more able we are to see our, our opportunities to display it. And, you know, everyone can work at this. You know, there are many people who, in closing, I mean, there are many people we can all recognise in the Christian community as compassion leaders, like Heidi Baker being the very obvious one, Mother Teresa, of course. And here, of course, too, there are many, many people involved in outreach here. But the thing I want to close on is we are all able to act just as powerfully as these people in the place that we are in right now. So if we let I feel that if we let a healthy fear of God dictate this, we can allow that healthy fear of God to become the oxygen for our compassion. And if we allow that to be our only motive, I feel. I mean, in, in absolutely in closing, we want to reiterate that we are all compassionate people. It is our true identity. And in doing so, in practicing compassion, it will free us to be who we really are in God, I feel. Good. Just stay there for a couple of moments. Now, um, what I think would be really good for Raina and Lauren to hear is what has hit home to us as we've been listening. So what, from what they've shared with us, struck you, impacted you, will you remember, will you do something about do you really think you resonate with, yes, that's right. Let's hear a few contributions from the floor. So put your hands up if you've heard them say something, and I'd love them to hear this feedback. So Leo. Yeah. 